Hello, welcome to the No Greater Joy podcast, episode 18, brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church, because we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that's to no greater joy by stepping into areas that bring no greater joy for God's people. That's being a 24-7 worshiper, a go-person, and an alongsider. I'm Pastor Steve, lead pastor here at Grace, and to my left on the radio, or the podcast, or your phone, or whatever, is... Ryan Atkins. Ryan Atkins. So huge thank you, uh, Dan Kraniak, also, member here at Grace, for producing this. We do have a crowd. We do have a live audience right. today. Clap, clap, too. So... There it is. All right. He's, they're alive. It's kind of like a church service. You got to like prompt the clapping <laughs> and the response. So, no. All right. So we're talking about um, being an alongsider. In fact, we've been talking, kind of exploring that theme over the last number of different episodes that we have. It's reflective of our theme for the year, 2022, here at Grace, uh, being bound together. Um, what it means to be an alongsider just we're intentionally building relationships with other believers for the expressed interest of each other's spiritual growth. So we, uh, we're in the book of 1 Samuel on Sundays, and we want to explore a relationship uh, in this episode. Um, <clears throat> really, I think what we're going to explore, it's, it's kind of cool to see individuals in the scriptures and just to see some they're real people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to look at a friendship between Donathan and David. Uh, but, you know, first of all, Ryan, do you have any friends? Have you ever, ever had any friends, any close, good friends? I've had a few throughout my years. Um, younger years, a uh, kid named Eric comes to mind, lived down the street from me. Um, we were kind of just ran around together all summer long. Throughout the school year, walked to school together, rode bikes to school together, all those sorts of things. Um, but I'll say that my relationship with him was not on par with what we see from Jonathan and David. Yep. You know, it just, I wasn't saved at that time. And so it was merely just a friendship. The foundation of our friendship uh, was just shared interests and proximity. You know, the fact that we live four houses apart kind of set the tone for that friendship. Yep. Yeah, we I had a school-age kid down the street. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of Christians in our neighborhood, but he uh, their family was one of them. His name was Andy Walker. So we would ride bikes, play uh, G.I. Joe. So our yard had a ditch right along the street, and uh, so we would situate all of our men and all of the equipment and the vehicles and everything, and we would play out in the front yard. But in high school is when I probably had my closest group of friends. There's two other guys, the three of us. And um, we were all believers. We went, we were in the same youth group together. We went to three different high schools, but um, weekends and youth group activities, that kind of stuff. uh, We were always together. They became very close. In fact, we had a little, we had a name for ourselves. We were called the Dove Brothers. The Dove Brothers. The Dove Brothers, because there was <clears throat> a little business size card that I think was uh, like an evangelistic type card that you would hand out. With like a, a mini tract kind of? Yeah, but it was just a single-sided like business size card, really. And 
It had some kind of character quality on it, and it had three doves. And somebody said, "Hey, it's like you three were the do- you're like these doves." So we're, we became the Dove Brothers. Nice. And so all kinds of crazy memories. I won't wax eloquent right now about all the crazy stuff we did, but very close. I mean, we were best friends, and um, shared a lot of things. It, it was really. You look back at it, and I was like, "Man, this was this was great." Mm-hmm. Eric, Trevor, myself, and one of those guys, Trevor, is now my brother-in-law. So he married my sister, which was interesting. But that's another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and top up for another day. And I want to say this with my relationship with Eric. So even though me and my family we weren't believers, and I wasn't, a, you know, wasn't a believer at the time, he and his family they were. And so every opportunity they could, it was, "Hey, come with us to VBS. Hey, come with us to this event. Hey, come with." So. I was attending different events with them and these seeds were being planted. And so just, if you have a best friend, that's not a believer. Don't give up. Just keep planting those seeds, keep inviting them along. You know, just thinking through as you're talking about what you were doing with your friends that kind of came to mind yep. with his family. So what we're going to do is uh, if anybody after listening to this, will come up to either you, me, or even Dan and uh, ask, how's Eric? Right, Eric was his name. Yep. Or how are the Dove Brothers? All right. So we're not going to say anything. All so right. if somebody comes up, maybe we'll have a Mally's bar form or something. Okay. Yeah. We'll gauge. All right. How popular the tens and tens of listens that we're getting. That's right. But um, anyway, so that's out there. So if someone comes up, how's Eric or how's how the Dove Brothers? We'll have a, we'll hunt down a Mally's bar form. Sounds good. But we want to talk about this relationship between Jonathan and David. Uh, obviously, we're going to explore it as we're studying through First Samuel. Um, but I, I think there's a lot that we can identify with and learn and what it means to be an alongsider uh, within the context of a friendship. Um, so we just want to highlight four different, really the four main moments between David and Jonathan and in their friendship, and really the closeness that they have with each other, and how that can be a model for for our friendships. Um, the first of them, the first of these moments is in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And before I read those verses, just a little bit of maybe context leading up to it. 1 Samuel 18, uh, right before 1 Samuel 18 is the chapter most everybody is familiar with in 1 Samuel chapter 17, obviously 17 because it comes before 18, but it's David and Goliath. And so you you see David, uh, just a young boy, the youngest of all of his brothers, his family, and his dad sends him out on an errand to go see his brothers, see how they're doing. He has food, and of course there's David or there's Goliath there <clears throat> confronting the uh, the Israelite army. And everybody in the Israelite army is just fearful and passive and afraid to kind of step in, even though King Saul has put out a, a great reward for whoever does that, where we can defeat the giant. And David is like, it's almost like David walks into this camp and he's wondering, what, okay, why is nobody stepping up? Mm-hmm. And David steps up and he expresses immense faith, immense trust, and bravery and courage for God, because he sees the situation the way God does. You know, like, who is this guy to confront the armies of the living God? Like, mm-hmm. this giant is nothing. Why is nobody stepping out in faith? And, and we know how that we know how that goes. But right before also David and Goliath, we see Jonathan 
exhibiting the same kind of bravery and faith and trust in God um, in walking into garrison of Philistine armed soldiers. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> just he and his armor bearer, and he's like, listen, if God can do this, he can do this. By many or by few. That's right. And takes a step of faith and marches in. And here in chapter 18, this moment that we first are kind of introduced to Jonathan and David, let me read these verses. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, that's David, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David, and his armor, even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul went him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was as good and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I think the one thing I want us to to notice or what really sticks out to me is just the I hate to just put the close friendship, but there's there's a magnet between mm-hmm. them. And what that magnet is is faith, trust, and bravery for God Almighty. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about as believers, the friends that we have, what is it, you know, we can have, you know, whether it's, hey, we're in the same neighborhood, we're going to the same church, we're, things that we have in common, but rare, unfortunately, is it that the thing that we have in common with this other person is we're just going to fight for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And their souls were knitted together. I don't know, Samuel, as he's putting this, just that visual, I think, is a very striking visual. Mm -hmm. Um, Like being, just kind of fastening one object to another. um, And it's their souls that were knitted together. Right. You know, the very core of who they are as people was just kind of, which is bound together. And so I think... Any real close relationship for the believer, here we have this model that, you know what, I need to make sure that the people that I'm in close relationship, that our souls are knit together, like Jonathan and David's, around faith in Jesus Christ, bravery in Jesus for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that sticks out to me. What, what sticks out to you? So I thought that phrase, like you said, the, where the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and that's how the ESV <laughs> translates it. Just that picturing two threads being woven together in such a manner that they can't be pulled apart. And then I thought it was really interesting just thinking through our theme for the year and the another translation, the CSB, it's that Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. Mm-hmm. And just I thought that was kind of cool how that really ties into our theme of being bound together as a congregation this year. Um, but I think the takeaway lesson I had was that God has created us to be in close relationships with others, to need their companionship, to need their help, to, it's not just about the accountability, but really it's those that are, like you said, they're fighting for Christ. They're fighting for God. They're, that's the foundation 
um, that, that strong of a faith that these two men showed, that becomes the foundation of these great relationships. Um, and it's really what biblical best friends, mm-hmm. you know, biblical besties should look like. There it is. If, I like it. Biblical besties. You know, the old BB. Yeah. Um, and we're not talking about Bruce Berger. Bruce, if you're listening, hey. God um, bless you, brother. It's not shared hobbies, shared interests like we had, what I, like what I had with Eric growing up. You know, it, it's really each person looking for the other to the other person to help them grow in closeness to yeah. God. Well, and I think it's, you know, friendships are reflective of the commonalities. Correct. You know, I think that's just the way God has designed things. But I think what we're seeing here is that most of the time, unfortunately, our friendships are bound together by commonalities that are mm-hmm. temporary. Yes, yes. And so when those things end, <clears throat> friendships end. Yep. Not in a negative way. Yeah, they end with it. That's right. <clears throat> um, but what we're seeing here, and I think uh, what we long for is, listen, there's there's a commonality here, but it's eternal. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jonathan... That was one of the things, you know, John, you know, one person's initiating it. Right. And I think that's an okay thing. Sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know. There, what if it's not mutual? Jonathan just like goes after David mm-hmm. and he sees it. And initially it's a one-sided thing. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, he's giving him his robe, his bow, his belt, his sword, which there were only two swords in Israel. <laughs> Jonathan is giving one of them to David. Mm-hmm. Um probably more symbolic than anything, but um, Jonathan's initiating that. He sees the, the eternal commonality and initiates this, this mm-hmm. friendship. So yep. let's keep going. What's the next moment? All right, so the next moment, um, going to continue moving through 1 Samuel 18 and get to our next moment is the beginning of chapter 19. Uh, so if you join us, verse 1. And Saul spoke to uh, Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took, he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And so, following the moment we just talked about in 1 Samuel 18 at the beginning of the chapter, throughout that chapter, we see Saul's jealousy of David growing, getting the best of him, uh, and that eventually turns him to fear David. And I think that was because he knew that the Lord was with him. And so David increases his mil- in his military success as that time goes on. This endears him to the Israelites and even says that his name was highly esteemed in verse 30 of chapter 18. And so we see Saul kind of giving in to his jealousy and his fear in ordering that David would be killed. And 
it's really interesting. I thought three things that kind of jumped out is that Jonathan questioned Saul's desire to kill David and gave him three reasons why he shouldn't. And so he reminded him that reminded Saul that David had not sinned against him. He reminds Saul that David's actions uh, have been advantageous to him, to him, Saul being, and three, that killing David would be shedding innocent blood. And I thought it was interesting that Saul listens to Jonathan, swears an oath not to kill David, which we know he'll go back on or mm -hmm. attempt to go back on. Um, and then we see this friendship kind of continue as Jonathan relays the oath to David and re-enters, and then David can now re-enter into Saul's presence mm -hmm. or service. I think the the lesson that I really jumped out to me is that true friends are not swayed by self-interest and that this biblical friendship that we see between Jonathan and David, that they're willing to help one another even if they have to make personal sacrifices to do so. And as I was reading on this and studying on this, I came across a Warren Wearsby quote, and he said, had Jonathan been a selfish man, he could have helped to eliminate David and secured the crown for himself, but he submitted to the will of God and assisted David. So he didn't let his personal ambition distort his role in the will, you know, his aligning of his life with the will of God and, and what his perception of David was. I think that's a, a, a good observation because one of the things that, even in the previous moment that we were talking about, you know, Saul, <clears throat> King Saul didn't let David leave, <laughs> mm -hmm. kept him near him. Um, in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, we see Saul as he's beginning his reign. You know, he, what's it say? He, um, he attached himself to kind of any man that showed any kind of valor. Mm -hmm. All these valiant men, Saul attached them to himself. So he like, you know, I think, you know, knowing Saul, there's probably a huge amount of insecurity inside him. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to put all these men around me. And so David's just another one of those men. But I think for the very thing that you're observing here is because David could do something for Saul. Right. Jonathan attached himself to David, not because of what David could do for Jonathan. Right. You know, and... Too often, and so things break down between Saul and David when Saul feels threatened. Mm -hmm. When David is no longer doing what I need David to do. Yeah, I think too many of our friendships are that way, you know, where they just kind of we're in these relationships, and when the other is no longer doing for me what I need, we just kind of discard. Mm -hmm. um, and it that seems to be going on with. David and Jonathan, or David and Saul, but not David and Jonathan. Right. You know, and the thing that along those same lines with you and this lesson from this is I think a good friend and this alongsider, you're going to jump into the mess. Yeah. Yep. For your friend, for their good and for God's glory. Mm -hmm. You know, Jonathan's appealing to truth and he's appealing, you know, you know, don't sin against David. You know, there's no reason to sin against David. Mm -hmm. So for God's glory and for God's good, you know what? I'm going to jump into the mess. Yeah. Jonathan didn't choose it, but now all of a sudden, man, I got to I gotta stick up for my friend with the king. Yeah. He's essentially challenging Saul in that moment. You know, like is the way I was thinking through, and it's like he does this out of this brotherly love, you know, and he 
kind of sticks his neck out there and sticks his nose in it that no, like you really shouldn't do this. And yep. here's, here's why. Yep. And like a good Baptist, he gave him three reasons why. There you go. You know? <clears throat> and so. And we could probably alliterate him if we tried hard enough. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, Give us a minute. That's right. And Jonathan <laughs> serving as almost a, a reconciler, he's restoring this relationship. Yep. So uh, the third moment that we want to highlight is uh, just in the next chapter, but it really, there's a lot that's going on in chapter 20. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, it's interesting after this restoration, really this restoration that Jonathan orchestrates is really just momentary. It mm-hmm. doesn't last very long because David is um, continuing to have success in fighting for Saul against the Philistines. David is getting recognition uh, but David is also serving the king. He's playing his instruments to bring calm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Samuel records that, you know, the Lord sends a harmful spirit. And before David knows it, he has a, a spear flying at him, try to pin him to the wall. And, you know, I, we read that, we're like, oh my God, like, like that. Could you imagine being in David's shoes? Like playing, playing your liar, playing, playing your, your liar, you know, that's right. and all of a sudden, you know, that's that was, right. guess that was the wrong song. That's right. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I thought I was restored with this man. Mm-hmm. And really at this moment, David just begins to flee and he's trying to escape. He's literally running for his life. And, and who does David go to? He goes to Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what have I done? What wrong have I done to your dad? Um, and he's honest with him. He says, there's but a step between me and death. I mean, I'm a, your dad is about to kill me. And, um, you know, and he's on the run going different places. Um, but I love what Jonathan, in the context of this, he's talking to Jonathan. Jonathan almost is like, no, there's no way. You know, my dad tells me everything. He's not told me that. And David is just like, listen, no, I'm about to die. Your dad is going to kill me. And Jonathan, I, you know, just to say, listen, whatever you need, I'll do. Whatever you say, I will do it for you. And they they make this vow between families. Um, they make a vow of just steadfast love. And then we have this scenario that David and Jonathan kind of come up with. David, there's a there's going to be a series of meals. David doesn't want to be there in the presence of the king for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, and tells Jonathan that you know let the king know when he realizes that my seat's empty, that I've requested to go to Bethlehem to make a sacrifice with my family. Um, and so they get to the first night of the meal. Saul sees David's empty seats, just thinks, well, maybe he's just unclean. And so he has to stay home. Second night, something's up. Mm-hmm. Third night, something's up. He starts to get angry, and he's like, you know, where is David? Jonathan tells him where he is, you know, that he requested, and I gave him permission. And then Saul makes this incredible accusation that is like, you're on David's side. Yeah, against you're, Jonathan. Yes. Yeah. You're on David's side. You're not on the king's side, you know, you're you're just setting aside your whole family. And what does King Saul do? Takes a spear, and now Jonathan's 
in the aim of the spear that was going after mm -hmm. David. And um, so Saul, or excuse me, Jonathan meets David. They'd set up in a field. This is the whole arrow scenario. And, you know, um, you know, if they were to shoot it and he shoots it certain distance and sends the young boy to go out and get him and bring him back, they both know, like, listen, it's not safe for you. And so the verses that I wanted to read in that, after that young boy leaves and it's only Jonathan and David, uh, chapter 20, verses 40 um, to the end of the chapter, it says, And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. So there's like honor and respect there. Mm -hmm. And they kissed one another. They wept with one another, David weeping the most. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we've sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and he departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Go in peace? I mean, you think about both of them have had Saul's spear coming at them. Mm -hmm. uh, David can't go anywhere. He has to go run and hide. And Jonathan's like, peace. Go in peace. We're right. Mm -hmm. We've made a vow. The Lord is between us. Um, you know, if there's a lesson at all in that, it would be, I think, in these <clears throat> friendships, there's just this constant pointing toward these higher covenants and promises, you know, where these covenants don't get overwhelmed by the circumstances. And, you know, he's like, listen, Yes, you're going to go on the run. We may never see each other again, but there's peace. You can have peace. Mm -hmm. Go in peace. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I was just thinking through like my takeaway lesson, and it's it's such a long chapter. There's so much going on that I like struggled to like what is the one, and I and I kind of landed on that f these friendships that they last through thick and thin. Yeah, it'd been very easy for Jonathan to have turned on David once that spear went past his head. Like, this isn't worth it. I'm yes, not taking your exactly. spear. Are you kidding me? And unlike what you were saying a moment ago with Saul, where once once the transactional nature broke down of what I need from you, I'm not going to get, therefore, away with you, that doesn't happen in the friendship between Jonathan and David. Um, it just, it lasts thick and thin. And then, like you said a moment ago, that it really, these relationships, they point us back to the promises, the covenants, that we have with God. Yeah, it's those things that keep relationships going. And I think we see it oftentimes when we've developed friendships and maybe our contexts have changed. Mm -hmm. But whenever we visit those people again, it's like nothing's changed. Right. It's like you haven't missed a day. They got, that's right. Because you're just bound and knit together by eternal things. And even though the state that we're living in has changed, even though any number of different changes, when you get together and your hearts are still knit together because you're knit to Jesus and you're about the eternal things and the eternal covenants and the promises and this plan that God has that you find yourself, you're both a part of this plan, it's like that never changes. So it's like nothing's ever changed. Right. 
And these good friends just keep drawing each other's attention back to that. Now, it doesn't erase the difficult understatement right. circumstances that David's in. And it really kind of leads us to this last moment a few chapters later. Yep. David literally is on the run. Yep. And as you read chapters 21 and 22, I mean, you're going to see, I mean, he is bouncing from city to city, place to place. And wherever he goes, there's always a person that's rooting him out. Yeah. Like sending word to Saul, David's here. David's in this area. He's in this forest. David even gets to a city called Keilah, and that city's being attacked by the Philistines, and he saves them. So naturally he's thinking, all right, maybe I can be safe here for a while. If I saved them, maybe they'll protect me. And then word gets, he hears word that once again, somebody in that city sends word to Saul, hey, David's in Keilah. And David inquires of the Lord. He asks God, like, are these people going to like turn me over? And God says, yes, they are going to turn you over. So what does he do again? He flees. But I love what happens after he flees that city. Chapter 23, verses 15 to 18. David sees that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And then what happens? Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and he went to David at Horish, and he strengthened his hand in God, his hand in God. And he said to him, Don't fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you, but you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. That I don't know, that's an awesome moment. Mm-hmm. Jonathan's biblical bestie is on the run. Jonathan is probably fully aware that, man, these people keep turning David in. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan goes and finds him. Jonathan finds him, Saul can't. Right. I think that's an interesting... Yep. It has to be of the Lord. That God has brought about this relationship. God knew what David needed, allows Jonathan to find him, so that he could strengthen his hand in God. I think that that's what stuck out to me is like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, these biblical friends, this biblical friendship. Number one, you know, yes, you're going to go find the person and you're going to try to strengthen them. But he strengthens him not in like these empty little statements. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Right. You know, no, he's he's points once again points his direction to God. Mhm. And he strengthens his hand in who God is. And I love what he says. You're going to be king. Yep. The cultural heir to the throne is saying, David, listen, my dad it can't do anything to you because of who God is and his promise on your life. My, my dad can't do anything. So don't fear. Strengthen your hand in God. And I'm going to be right next to you when you're king. Yep. That's huge. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think that's a great moment. What, what sticks out to you as you think about this? Just that Jonathan's love and respect for David could allow him to do just what you just said, where he is the cultural, you know, next in line to this throne. But his love and respect for David and for God, really, has allowed him to willingly accept this, what would eventually be a subordinate role, to come in as David's second in command, you know, and to kind of give up without any sort of resentment, without any sort of jealousy, 
just trusting that God's will and God's plan is the right one. Um, and then I, the takeaway of all of it, I thought, was that you know we really have to offer others who are going through a difficult time just a reminder of who God is. And it really works well if you're speaking with a believer. But if you're not speaking with a believer, it's perhaps an opportunity to evangelize in that moment and kind of point them to who God is. And it may not be reminding them of who God is, but telling them of who God is um, and just the the promises that we have through Jesus Christ. Yep. I think one of the things that also I wanted to mention right now before we wrap this up, um, Jonathan's like, Saul knows that you're going to be king. <laughs> like he knows it. Yeah. I know it. He knows it. Saul's fighting against God's will for your life. I'm with you. I'm not going to fight against God's will. In fact, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to. So as we were, as I was finishing up my study, uh, Psalm 27 jumped to my mind where David is writing. He says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?" When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And then skipping a verse and jumping back in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I just thought it was just thinking through David's life and what's going on with his friendship with Jonathan and how Saul is pursuing him in these different moments. And it's really the Lord that is his light, his salvation. And Jonathan is really just reflecting that. Yep. Maybe Jonathan, a little part of that inspiration in yep. writing Psalm 27. Yep. So well, I think it's a good way to to wrap this up and uh, truly hope for everybody's listening, for all of our people at Grace, that they have a biblical bestie. Yep. A Jonathan David type friendship. And the moment you have that uh, that recognition of an eternal bond, go after it. Yep. And don't let it go. Yep. All right. God bless. Have a great day.